Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast, and although it's an enjoyable one, today's podcast is kind of a morbid one at that. Well, I mean, it, it's morbid in in a, a sense, but it's also, I think it's kind of empowering to uh, to know that there's somebody out there that is um, going to, you know, take you through the process of, uh, of death and, you know, help you with it. Well, yeah, and uh, you guys talk about it in the pod how like when she grew up, she was she had a big family, so she was around a lot of sickness-related deaths, unexpected deaths, and how it's kind of like immunized is in the right word, but almost desensitized her to death in a way that allows her to still feel sympathetic for the dead, but not let it cloud her judgment or not like she can move on her day. And it really is a recipe for the perfect, it's a perfect recipe for what she does for work, which is basically walking people through what, like a, like a someone important, walking people through like the death of someone who's important to them. Yeah, I agree. And and it was interesting to, to me as we got walking and talking through it, um, how, you know, once I started to put a little bit of my real life experience out to her with, with um, you know, my brother dying and how that all went down. She really, you know, kicked into death doula gear and she, you know, started working through her, her training to help me with it, even though it was just something that we were, you know, briefly talking about. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's an incredible pod and this lady is incredibly smart. You can, uh, you guys won't get to see the video, but in the video she has like, six diplomas behind her on her wall so like this lady is certified she's incredibly smart and it's uh it's a really fun pod to listen to yeah so why don't we kick it over to her uh her name is alicia bexon and she couldn't have been more accommodating uh, we had to take a couple of runs at this due some of uh due to some of my malfunctions on our end but uh she couldn't have been more accommodating and she she uh delivered a great pod so please welcome alicia bexon thank you for having me gordon it's uh, it's a lot of fun to sit down with people that are doing something that maybe there's a little bit of a misconception or or maybe no real perception of of some of the work that they do, and when I saw that uh, you were a death doula, I think I I think I understood what it is. Um, if only you kind of take what the normal birth doula and kind of put your own spin on it. But but I think there's a lot of it that maybe we don't understand, and I I think it'd be fun to sit down and chat with you. So tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, I guess, and and, and maybe tell us and, and explain a little bit to us why something like this became uh, not, you know, I, I don't want to say something you're interested in. I mean, this is your vocation. It's something that you're trying to do full time. What about it? How did it come into your life and what about it intrigued you? Yeah, so basically I grew up in a really large family, um, specifically on my father's side. So from the time I was a little girl, we, you know, I, I experienced a lot of significant loss and I saw what it looked like when somebody young passed away versus when it was somebody that was older. Um, I experienced expected illness related deaths versus sudden tragic deaths. 
Um, and so it kind of impacted me deeply in the sense that it was never a taboo topic. I was surrounded by, by it. And so I didn't realize how it was unnatural for people to be comfortable with talking about it and, you know, like shutting down and, and not being willing to show their emotion with it. For me, that was not normal. For me, it was just always open and comfortable. Um, you know, of course, like anybody, you grieve and you experience sadness just like anybody else. But um, it wasn't something that my family was very shut down to. So I've always just had, um, I, I was comfortable with it, I guess, in, in a healthy sense. Well, and it seems to me that that something like that, I mean, uh, it takes a certain type of person to um, to have that level of comfort and and whether it's a, you know, a faith or a spirituality or something that gives that life meaning beyond exactly what we experience here. And I'm not trying to get philosophical. I'm just saying there has to be ways that you can kind of come to terms with that and take some of the edge off that grief. Yeah, well, and it's also important too to, you know, never go in with your own agenda. So when you talk about like the spiritual aspect or or any of those types of things, um, that to me never at all plays into my beliefs versus somebody else's beliefs. Um, you've got to remain neutral and, you know, help them find comfort wherever it is that they are. Now, let's also remember that people that are on the religious spectrum um, you know, sometimes at the end of their life start questioning, is this, you know, is what I believed, you know, true? And so it can cause fear or, you know, or it can be something that's comforting. And the same thing with people that are non-religious at all. You might talk to them and they might start questioning, you know, maybe there is a God, maybe, you know. So, I mean, I never go in there with an agenda. I always um, go in there with an open mind and we just tailor, you know, the the whole situation to to each individual client it's a very individual experience for for every client yeah and i think that's something worth noting for something that is inevitable for every living thing um the the process around death is so different for every person that it there is no one size fits all when it comes to this not at all and i think that speaks to why a position like a death doula is is as important as it is or or could be once people are aware of what they do yeah that's right like i've had a lot of people um who who didn't actually know what a death doula was and so their conception or sorry perception was that you know like oh you unplug people no i don't unplug people you know i'm a support person non-medical but it's it's for you know like emotional peace and just offering non-judgmental support and practical support for those that that really need it so we and we spoke about this a little bit off uh off off topic or offline pardon me and uh and you mentioned that this isn't your full-time job so what what is your what was your full-time job before this became something that you wanted to do um well i've done um like roles in the oil field and those those types of things um, you know, I, I liked what I did, but I just needed something more than, um, you know, revenue being the main goal for me. I'm, I'm fulfilled when I'm helping people. I'm fulfilled when, you know, they're receptive to it and appreciative of it. Um, and I just felt like my passion for what I really wanted to do was being wasted. 
Well, and that's, I mean, I, I work in the oil field as well. So I know that there's a lot of that interpersonal within, you know, the oil field and, and the work that you do, but, but yeah. that a lot of times nobody's as receptive or appreciative of some of that interpersonal interaction. So to, to go and do something like this, it, it really is kind of in a lot of ways, a 180 degree departure from working in a business <laughs> like that, right? You're, you, yeah. you know, everyone's come to terms with their mortality. And, and it's, it's important to note, I guess, too, that, um, you know, you, you don't just support the family of someone that is dying or the person who is dying. There's like a whole um, group of people there that, that require support at that period in their lives, right? Well, and it's not just that either. Like, yeah, I'll support the family or the, the individual themselves that is passing away. Um, but I do a lot of educating. Um, I hold a children's grief group um, because I feel like from a young age, it is so important to um, to teach kids about grief and give them the opportunity of having a safe space where they can talk about it. Because what people don't realize, well, people probably do realize a lot, but I think it, it kind of just kind of goes under the radar sometimes. Um, but kids are very, very perceptive. And so if they've lost somebody, um, you know, they they become the caregiver sometimes at times they're confused and they're anxious, but they just don't want to upset, you know, mom or dad or, or whomever it is that, that they're trying to support and they have no clue what's going on. Um, and so often people just want to, you know, shield their children and, you know, keep them safe and happy and all those kinds of things. But as adults, when, when we grieve and we don't have the tools, it is confusing. It is stressful and you don't want to be, um, in the midst of turmoil yourself and then having to try to, um, you know, help a kid understand grief. So it's so important to educate kids ahead of time before it happens. And then again, with this grief group, I give them a space where they can just talk openly about things that they might not feel comfortable um, talking to mom or dad or their brother or sister about because they don't want to upset them and make them cry. But they need to see that, um, you know, it's okay to cry. That's part of that's part of the whole process of grieving and getting back to a point where you are being able to to um, live through the grief, not just get over it because they're not going to get over it. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a great point to make that grief is not um, a mountain that's just placed in front of you that you are to to figure out a way to scale it's it's this feeling that you have to navigate within you and and to provide support is is an incredible um and, and i think i think it's incredible and i think it's very noble to say we're going to try and get out in front of this before you have to deal with it so that you have some tools in your toolbox but ultimately this results in the parents having to be able to you know um understand that and take that on because ultimately they're, they're the parents are in charge what's what's the feedback like around parents when you're or, or just adults in general when you're talking about your services is there a, a a definite changing in the tides where people understand what the service you're providing actually is and and people want to be a part of it or do you still have to kind of like you say no i don't unplug people and and go through <laughs> those those very basic um perceptions of your job um 
basically you know when i start explaining what it is that i do people are 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 like oh wow you know i really i really could have used your services i wish i would have had you you there when you know my daughter passed away or when when my mom passed away i just had such a hard time and i had to do this and i had to do that and i just didn't know you know where where to go or what to do um you know so you would have been a helpful service to have that being said when people are in the midst of you know a fresh loss that's also not the time that they're just automatically reaching out most of the time um you know they've got to warm up for to the idea and so them hearing about me right at that point is not usually the time where where they'll connect with me it's usually a little bit after it's happened um and then at that point too basically what my goal is is i i just go and i i put posts out there i educate and i you know put as much out there as i possibly can so then that way when people do need me they already have you know i've kind of planted a seed already because i'm not the type of person just to swoop in and and be like oh you know like potential client i don't that's not how i want to do my business i don't want to look like i'm preying on people that is not the goal they need to be receptive to it before before I'll just go and work with them. Yeah, and I think that's like, you know, the ambulance chaser adage around lawyers, right? Like that's, they hang out at the intersection where there's lots of car accidents. And I mean, for you, you could patrol those types of places too, but that doesn't necessarily mean the people that are in those places are even require your services or receptive to it. And you have to be, um, aware of that, that, that this is something that people have to come to in their own space for it to work the way it's intended. A hundred percent. That's exactly it. So when you're, when you're doing those kind of things, um, is there like, do you have, I don't want to say tricks because that implies that there's something dishonest, but is there like ways that you can belie the value that you're about to bring or, or show people what some of the things that you can do? To, that help them along that way? Or do you just kind of have to guide them until, you know, it's the old horse to water type thing? Well, again, like I just, for me, it's got to be organic. I am not going to, to reach out at a time when somebody, you know, is, is in the midst of something brand new. Usually it, it uh, starts out as a referral or again, just somebody has read something or follows my page or those types of things. And then they'll reach out. So tell us about a time where where you you were able to, you know, get get involved with a family or or an individual at at the time that it worked out, and and talk a little bit about how how that process played out with your involvement. And and I won't ask you to speculate on how it would have gone without you being there. I don't think that's fair. But but I I would like to understand a little bit about how some of the interactions went that you feel like you helped them with? Um, well, I'm somebody that I don't want to, how do I say it? Um, like I'm not somebody who's, who's greedy in any sense. So, um, for me, a lot of the work, like I do a lot of, um, pro bono, um, just, I feel like word of mouth is, is helpful. And, and when you show that you're, you're genuinely just wanting to, to help people, it's, a good way to um, be able to get word of mouth out there um, again organically uh, so I've had a few people that I've done some some pro bono stuff and it's led to repeat business um, paid so so that's been helpful um, but 
that's kind of a hard one, honestly. I just like without divulging on things, you know, because it is yeah. a confidential thing. Like I don't want to overshare either. Um, oh, and I, I respect that. And I just I, like I, I'm curious, like if there was a an instance, perhaps that where somebody you know who who came to you and said, you know, this this part of this process really helped. You know, my mom come to terms with the fact that that her husband of 62 years is, is dying or something like I'm, I'm curious yeah. if, if you ever get that kind of immediate payoff or if you just see somebody do better than you think maybe they would have if you hadn't been involved. No, I've had people come back and, and you know, thank me for, um, you know, putting them at peace. For instance, a terminal. I've had a couple of terminal people who, have you know, haven't passed away at this point or whatever, but have have come to me and, and thanked me and said that I have offered them peace that they didn't have and they don't feel alone and they feel supported and those types of things. And that's ultimately my goal. Um, I want to honor the end of life just as equally as the beginning of life. Um, it's, it's, I don't know, it, it can be, it can be kind of heavy, right? Like it's, it's client centered, it's heart centered and it's just making sure that people are are looked after and feel okay and you know that they had some support that they needed and as for like families that i've helped um i just i mostly i i see um tidbits on on facebook where somebody's like oh talk to this person you know she's really she's really helped me with with um dealing with the loss of so and so and and those types of things so i don't always get it directly sometimes i do but most of the times i just see it yeah um, yeah social media so and that's just as good too right if somebody actually brings you up in that space where you don't have to be the person that's that's yeah. there i think that yeah. uh, speaks volumes into the to the your ability to help people when when other people in that similar situation are recommending you yeah well and that's just it too and that's what i mean with it you know the word of mouth being the organic way to have people learn about me and then decide if if i'm a fit for their their family or for themselves well and it's it's such a mentally um exhausting process that you, that's the type of thing that people probably don't put a lot of thought into at that point so if, if they can have that organic like i'm trying to you know selling that service is different than selling chiropractor services or <laughs> back truck services like it's it's such a people that need those those services, they're in such a different spot in their life that almost the regular sales quote unquote playbook gotcha. just goes out the window, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's just it too. Like, as far as I know, I'm the first one in, in this area. I know there's a couple others that are, are popping up and, and whatnot, but it's, you really have to market yourself. Um, and, and yeah, it's, I'm, I'm literally just learning as I go with, with the marketing and that types of things too, because that's, there's no, there's no book on, on how to do it. It's just, yeah, but. Well, and you, and you mentioned earlier that, that a lot of times that stuff um, can get really heavy. So there has to be like a, um, a max maximum amount of effort that you can put into that. Like, you, you know, if there was, um, you know, a, a tragedy of some variety, I think of the humble bus crash or something like that, where, um, where just death descended upon it. Like you only have so much to give yourself, right? You you have to yeah. be cognizant of that as well. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's where, um, you know, I have to really take inventory of where I am in my personal life, my work life, like just, just everything really. Um, and, and know when I'm starting to get to that part where I'm feeling like I'm, I'm drained because it can be heavy mentally. And that kind of lends, and that lends right into my next question, which is how do you, how do you manage your own mental health when, when that, like people have that drain on you for, for your job? I, I liken it to somebody who, you know, a doctor who's around death like that all the time, like when they come home, their batteries are at zero. How do you, how do you manage that? And what do you do to, uh, to refill, refill your cup? Well, I first off never compare myself to a doctor because they are, you know, a whole other breed of, of heroes and, and those types of things. Um, but when it comes to my mental health, I just, I am very aware on, what uh what drains me what my limits are and knowing when i don't have the capacity to handle something and knowing to say no being okay with that not having to explain it and without guilt which is the big one without guilt right to yeah. to be able to understand that that at some point you you have to come into this equation i think that's the hard part that people um you know they say no but but do they mean it right yeah. Well, and, and the other thing too, is like, if I can't be focused and fully present, then I need to recharge. I need to recharge because I, I too am human. And, you know, there, there's some heavy stuff that happens out there. And I mean, even just from reading certain things that are happening, I'm like, holy, like, I just, okay, this is enough. I just have to stop. I need to disconnect for a little while, um, you know, with the world just so I can, be okay for myself and for my family and you know basically live as i'm telling people or trying trying to educate people to to live right like say no say no and it's okay and you don't owe anybody an explanation so don't feel bad about it <laughs> right you know and you don't have to it's 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 no. perfectly okay we've just been conditioned to always you know it's the, the people pleasing yeah no, nobody yeah. cares work harder just make sure and, and there are a lot of people that um like that's their that's their love language that's the way they connect with people is by service right so but you have to be aware of when when the service is starting to harm you and it's not actually drawing you drawing the, the right kind of people into you right well and it can entirely be counteractive too when it gets to that point because who are you helping if you're not if you're not fully where you need to be then you are not in the you know right mindset to be able to help anybody else and not to mention like people's people can pick up on your energy too so if i go in somewhere and i'm drained and i'm just like Ugh, you know like what's that first off this is my business and i take it seriously but like i need to fully be there for people um you know when you're trying to hold space for them and be there and wrap them in in the love and support that they need my mind's off somewhere else i'm not really doing that yeah that that would be one time that it would be very easy to spot spot it when it's not sincere right yeah exactly so so you you mentioned or we i think we mentioned um that that you're you know looking to do this full time so so what does that mean is there like a, a governing board for this is there accreditations um how, how does one go about doing this full time 
Um, well, it's a lot of work. Um, there are courses that you can take. Um, however, because it is an unregulated um, service right now, it's like you basically, it's a blessing and a curse, really. Um, right now, there are other doulas that are working to get this as a regulated as a regulated thing. So then that way it can be recognized, um, you know, under your benefits and those types of things. It's also um, helping to protect clients. That being said, when it's regulated, that comes with a whole whole bunch of, of rules and those types of things too. So it might limit what services you're allowed to provide for your clients and those types of things. Um, so it kind of, Basically, when you're hiring a death doula, you don't know who you're hiring um, because my service versus the service of four other people could be very different on on our approach and what our what our goals are and those types of things. And uh, you know, you always hope that you've got people's hearts in the right place and those types of things. So you just really have to do your research and be comfortable with a doula if you're hiring one. And those types of things but with it being unregulated that also allows me to work whatever hours i you know i'm not limited with how many hours i can work like i can i can work as many hours to help whomever i need to help um but yeah i think in the long run it would definitely be nice to get this to be something that's recognized by um like the government and and those types of things well i think it like i i don't think the people that are are receiving the care would ever question the legitimacy of the support, but it just seems like the perception of it would would that that legitimacy would help the perception of it, and and allow it to take a foothold so that, you know, you talk about the, you know, the the teachings that you're doing with children and and I mean let's face it, adults, a lot of people get to be adulthood into adulthood before they, really truly have to deal with death as close to them as, as they're going to have to going forward. And I mean, that would be a wonderful, you know, think of the utopia that it would be if, if people understood grief before they had to deal with it. Right. If, if, if a 20 year old person, the first time they ever dealt with death was maybe their grandparent dying and that child, that their parent might be a 50 year old person who's never really dealt with death until their, their, their parent died. And now there's all these people that are lost or, or, you know, don't know what to do. Imagine if we could have got them some of that at some point, like balancing a checkbook or changing a car tire. It's just a life skill. And it really is. And I mean, they should be by rights, bringing this into the school system, like let's let's teach these kids too. Give them give them the tools now, because like my experience too, it offered like that helped me a lot. Um, you know, even with today and helping other people understand and those types of things too. But it's so important to to talk about it openly and and those types of things. Um, it's not abnormal. Like my son, I have a 12 year old son and he's experienced death once. Um, but he is not afraid to talk about it. He asks me so, and we'll be out in public and he, he has no problem asking him. So when you die and then he'll, you know, continue on with something and I'll be like, well, when I'm dead, then, you know, whatever, like we need to stop making these words taboo words because this is what happens. And you know, when when you talk more about it, it'll 
almost like desensitized to a point, like not to the point where you're not grieving, but to the point where you're comfortable. But you'd be surprised with the amount of raised eyebrows that we get from having these conversations out in public. But it's such a healthy thing that he's comfortable asking me about, okay, like what's going to happen when you die? Like, what if I go first and those types of things? And is it a happy conversation? No, but we're both comfortable with it. And I tell you, it has helped him tremendously with with the loss that he's experienced. Well, and just the ability to navigate a difficult conversation in life, like, uh, you know, I'm I'm just trying to think of something like uh, to have a conversation with a 12 year old boy of menstruation or something that he doesn't he knows a little bit about, but he he certainly is going to need more about if he's comfortable talking to you about quote unquote taboo things think of all the other things that he can come and talk to you about that are going to make his life easier like this doesn't just have to be about death does it no not at all i mean that can go with with anything any any hard conversation in life if you're talking to your kids and making them feel like they've got a safe space to go my son will talk to me about things i never imagined that we'd have to talk about so (laughs) so yeah it really does fall into all other areas well and i i i I like in this um, these conversations back to um, I, I lost my brother when I was 24. His his funeral was the day before my 25th birthday, and yeah. um, the the best thing that came out of that, and and there was no good things, but the best thing that came out of it was there's a group of us that when we see each other, we hug. We don't shake hands, we don't nod, we hug because that's what that taught us. But it was that difficult period that gave us that ability, and I think that the ability to talk and and uh, communicate through that grieving process you know um you don't have to have it so that it takes because there's a quote and i i heard joe biden say it but uh it's something that eventually you know the thought of that person will bring a, a smile to your face instead of a tear to your eye and that's when you know you're gonna make it and and i can attri- i can attest to that that's the truth um and maybe if if you're better at the grief part of it and dealing with it, maybe that period where where a tear to your eye comes instead of a smile to your face, maybe we can condense that. And maybe that is like truly what the best part of all of this is. Maybe that, I don't know, but it has to be, there has to be something better talk than, than just dealing with it silently. And I think talking about it and having people that are trained to help you with it, man, uh, I wish I'd have known about that 20 years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, and it significantly does make a difference to people, too. Um, first off, I'm sorry about the loss of your brother. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you were able to to gain something, you and your group of buddies there, you know, out of that. But it's exactly what you're saying, too. Like, it's sad that that's what it takes for us to be able to do those things. Yeah, and, and it is. And it's but it's it's interesting because it'll be 20 years in May since the accident. But I, my, my son just turned 15. My daughter's going to be 13 in June. And the conversations that, that we have with them around Uncle Eric have, you know, like I guarantee you their, their view of death is different than other kids their age just because my, my son is, is, a, is a fairly spitting image of who my brother was at that age. So the, the similarities are so, I mean, my mom still calls him Eric twice a year. So he asks those questions and we talk about him and we, and we do it with a smile in our face and sometimes with a tear in our eye, but mostly with a smile on our face. And it's just a, you know, it's, it's, I feel like it's healthier than 
than if we just never talked about it or you know you you hear stories about a dad who lost somebody and it's something that he never talked about or you know he only talked about and it was like you just left him alone when he was in that place and it's like I mean that's one way of dealing with it but there's lots of ways and I, I say this about you know dealing with grief all the time there's you know there's there's no right way but there is a wrong way if you're doing something destructive or or you know self-destructive that, that's the wrong way to deal with it and it just takes people like you that have a number of different tools in their tool belt to maybe show people the right way yeah like i mean i i always want to be careful with using the words wrong way too because people can take that very very wrong um but you definitely don't want to dissociate because when you're not allowing yourself to grieve and you're not talking about it, um, it's, it's, it's more destructive. It is, it really is more destructive. Um, you know, when your body actually crying and, and all of that is your body's way of processing it in its own time. And that's totally a normal thing. I guess one of the other things I was going to say, though, too, is, um, you know, like when we're talking about our loved one, you know, that is a, a way of honoring, honoring them as well. So, you know, like you were saying with your son there or whatever, how he he has, you know, mannerisms that were were like Eric's. That's that's a beautiful thing. That's a gift, you know, and sharing with him, too, like, hey, buddy, like you're just like your uncle and and allowing them to know uncle through through your son is a fantastic thing that again not everybody has that either so well, point that out to him and you know let him let him and his sister see who who uncle was he'd be proud of that well and i think that's that's the the takeaway from it is is this is how he is with us still right and then you have to acknowledge it or else it never you know not that many people in my current life knew my brother you know that was 20 years ago and i live a thousand kilometers away from from where i grew up so so nobody knows that except through and and my daughter has has some of eric in her as well it's just the more masculine mannerisms are are the ones that are more easily identifiable and it's it's just it's fun because my wife knew my brother too it's fun to sit back sometimes and, and just smile and say okay that that was That's eric. yeah that. <laughs> yeah so what what's I always kind of like to to end things off with a discussion around success and i i, I feel like success uh for a deaf doula has less to do with like how busy you are how many clients you have it's more around the quality of the interactions and how that goes so what is success to you at this point alicia well i only started my business a couple of years ago and i started it in the midst of covid um so where i thought that i was going to be busy and successful so to speak is a little bit different than where i see it now um because with everything that was going on like you didn't have the face-to-face -face interaction um and that's where you really are able to make the connection and and those types of things with people. So success now for me is actually kind of where, right where I am. I'm still working full time um, at an oil field job that I, I enjoy, um, but I have clients that I can take on without biting off more than I can chew. I still have energy for my family at the end of the day and you know can go and, and see my son play his sports and activities and those types of things. Eventually I'd like to get to part-time where I'm only working at my job part-time. 
And then eventually I'd like to be full time. Um, but again, yes, like you said too, like the success of that is going to look a lot different because it's more of the quality of care that I've been able to provide, um, with, with my clients and adding to their life and honoring them, um, letting them feel acknowledged and validated and advocating for, for them and for causes that I believe in too, the surrounding death. So all of that is, is success to me. It's just a matter of. I guess where I'm sitting at this current point is, is success right now. What a great pod with Alicia. I mean, she was, she really kind of hit her stride there towards the end when we started talking about our real life incidents of dealing with death. And I feel like that really kind of, you know, shows how important somebody in that role is for, for a family that may not have a lot of experience dealing with death and the process of death and grief. And I think that, you know, if you knew what was going on out in the world in those spaces, I think there'd be a lot more healthier ways to deal with these things. So I just was was really, you know, interested to sit down with somebody who is is touting themselves as a death doula and understand what goes into that. Because I think it's quite a bit more complex than any of us are giving uh, giving the position credit for. So so I hope you you took something from that conversation, you know, and and. If, if you're ever in a position where you, you wonder what somebody in that role does, you know, you, you have some place to start because that's so often all it takes is just to start. So really fun pod with Alicia. She couldn't have been more accommodating. Um, you know, I mentioned it in the, in the intro, but uh, her and I actually had a whole 40 minute podcast um, that, that didn't record so that we actually recorded one twice. It was you know, fairly embarrassing for me, uh, 90 something episodes deep and and this happens, but, um, but she was great. We sat down and it was better the second time, I think for sure. I think she'd even say that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like the one last week with, uh, with Maggie, these women are, are finding ways to fill their cup and we want women out there to know that there are all kinds of ways for people. That's why we want to celebrate what they're doing here in, in March, uh, women's history month. As we always say, there are no wrong answers and no test at the end, so make the most out of every day. The Second Act Podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music, Happy Rock. We'd also like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, or whatever the service you're using to listen to, use this to measure how much you like something. Join us next time on The Second Act Podcast. When you're listening back to this, Dad, you're being loud as hell.